Please note that the information in this podcast may be outdated. For the most current and accurate information, refer to our website, BACB.com. Welcome to Inside the BACB, the official podcast of the Behavior Analyst Certification Board. Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Tyra Sellers and I am the Director of Ethics. I'm excited to talk to you a little bit today about a requirement found in the Professional and Ethical Compliance Code for Behavior Analysts and the RBT Code that's related to addressing concerns of potential code violations by those who must adhere to the BACB Codes of Ethics. Even though the language of this ethics requirement differs across the two code documents, the basic intent or spirit of the language is essentially the same. This ethics requirement really focuses on possible or actual issues that are likely to be resolved by addressing the concern directly with the individual involved, or perhaps in some cases, as with RBTs or BCABAs, you might be addressing it with the individual's direct supervisor along with the individual. The primary purpose of this ethics requirement is really about timely consumer protection, as well as implementing best practices regarding expectations for professional behavior. So addressing suspected issues directly with an individual might result in that issue being fixed quickly, which translates into timely consumer protection. Certainly, instances wherein a consumer is at risk of immediate and serious harm, an individual should engage the appropriate agencies and follow any requirements for mandated reporting. However, when the issue of concern does not rise to that level, just taking the time to address the issue directly is really the right way to go. Another positive aspect of this approach is that all parties may grow and benefit. Addressing a concern directly with a colleague or other professional provides an opportunity for the person bringing up the issue to work on expanding their repertoire of skills related to problem identification and problem solving, as well as skills related to effective communication and having difficult conversations. The same is true for the other individual, who may also end up increasing other skill sets if there really is an issue that needs to be fixed. Certainly, there's no guarantee that a conversation like this will go well, but that's really no reason to avoid having this type of interaction. Finally, it's common for helping professions to include a similar standard in their code of ethics. For example, the American Psychological Association, the American Speech Language and Hearing Association, and the American Occupational Therapy Association all have similar language in their respective codes of ethics. At this point, I've covered sort of the what's and when's and why's of the ethics requirement. I'd like to spend some time talking about the biggie, the how. First and foremost, we need to focus on the purpose of this discussion. The goal is not to prove that the other person is wrong or unethical, nor is it to flex your ethical superiority. The goal really is to ensure consumer safety as well as the integrity of our profession and science. This ethics requirement requires an initial assessment of the situation to determine if directly addressing it is likely to be successful. That's really the first step. It is also important to evaluate if directly addressing it could potentially worsen the situation and increase the risk of harm to consumers or others affected by the problematic behavior or situation. If that's the case, then you shouldn't have this direct conversation. Assuming that having a direct conversation won't make the situation worse, the approach should really come from a place of compassionate concern and respectful curiosity. Really being willing to consider the fact that Uh, what you think is an ethical violation might turn out to be a non-issue once you have all the facts is critically important. 
The idea is to take a functional contextual approach to try to identify if there really was a violation, and if so, what are the contributing variables? So for example, although not an excuse, perhaps the person was really unaware of the ethics requirement, or maybe they have a different interpretation of the language in the code. Perhaps the person's training or supervision resulted in some sorts of deficits or excesses that need some shaping. Or maybe consider that the person's current professional culture supports or even requires the behavior that you're concerned with. So let's talk about a specific example related to testimonials and advertising from the Professional and Ethical Compliance Code for Behavior Analysts. This code prohibits us from soliciting or using testimonials from current clients receiving behavior analytic services. It also instructs us on the requirements for how to use testimonials from former clients. So let's say that I notice that a colleague or competitor with clinical practice has testimonials on their company's website, and I can't really tell if those testimonials came from current or from former clients. I might have a meeting in person or over the phone, and I might say something like, hey, thanks, Sarah, for agreeing to chat with me. It looks like your company is doing really well. Congratulations. I wanted to chat with you about something I noticed on your company's website, if that's okay with you. I noticed that you have a section that includes parent testimonials. Can you tell me a little bit more about the information that's posted on your website? See, what I'm doing here is trying to gather some information to help me identify if this person is mostly following the code element or completely violating it. Maybe it is the case that the company's marketing department obtained and posted the testimonials, in which case my next statement might be something like, you're probably aware that using testimonials from current clients violates our code of ethics. Have you tried discussing this with your marketing team? Perhaps you find out that the testimonials are from former clients, in which case you can rest a little easier and then you can focus on discussing the ethics requirement that such testimonials, while allowed, must have an accompanying statement clearly describing that the individual is a former client and that the testimonial was unsolicited, as well as clarifying any other relevant information about the relationship between the behavior analyst and the person who provided the testimonial. So if that's the situation, I might say something to Sarah like, that's so great. You know, there's a part of the code that I sometimes forget about. It says that we have to include some specific information about the testimonial. Have you read that part, Sarah? Now, it might be the case that the person is fully aware of the code requirements and they chose to violate them. In that case, the conversation might focus on the purpose of the code element in an attempt to increase the individual's understanding of the need for consumer protection. If this is the case, I might say something like, you know, this code element might seem kind of unimportant, but I think it's really about consumer protection. Current clients might be motivated to provide favorable statements because they could be worried about how honest feedback might impact their child's services from you. In other words, there might be a conflict of interest here. Have you ever thought about that? Ultimately, the idea is to enter into a conversation in a non-judgmental and supporting way to increase the likelihood that you'll be able to gather the information you need to help determine if your concerns are founded. And if they are founded, how you might proceed with the conversation in a productive and positive manner. Once the conversation is over, it's a good idea to document everything that was said. You might even consider sending a summary follow-up email. At the end of the conversation, you should be able now to decide if there actually was a violation. If you conclude that there was a violation, bear in mind that addressing the issue with the individual does not require you to take an active role in helping to resolve or fix the issue. That really will depend on your relationship to the individual. 
Either way, if the conversation went well, take a moment to express your gratitude to that person by thanking the individual for being willing to have this discussion with you. You might even acknowledge that having the conversation was hard for you and that you were a little nervous about it. On the other hand, if the conversation didn't go well, it's best to end it with an empathetic statement anyway. For example, if the conversation didn't go well, I might say something like, I know this was really hard and that we're not seeing eye to eye, but I'm really appreciative that you took this time to discuss it with me. If you have concluded that there likely was a violation and the individual appears unwilling or unlikely to take the needed action to fix the issue, or you verify that they actually don't fix the issue, you should consider submitting a notice of alleged violation to the BACD's ethics department. Regardless of how the conversation turned out, remember that I mentioned earlier, it's a good idea that you document things for your records. You might choose to send that follow-up email to the individual wherein you summarize the main points from the discussion. Even if you decide not to email the individual, you should probably sit down and write a summary of the conversation and store that document in a secure location, just in case you need to refer back to what you talked about in that conversation. So to wrap up, this code element is really about consumer protection and protecting the field, and it's a quite common expectation in helping professions codes of ethics. Having these conversations might be really difficult, anxiety-producing, and unpleasant, but as a profession, it's critical that we commit to directly addressing issues in a timely and respectful manner, and that we not engage in avoidant behavior just because having this kind of conversation might make us feel uncomfortable, or it might make the other person feel uncomfortable. If having these types of conversations is scary for you, you might consider practicing with a supervisor or a colleague. It's a good idea to practice such a conversation a few times to prepare yourself before actually having it. This might reduce some of the anxiety that you feel when you actually have the conversation. If you're a supervisor or a professor, you might consider actively addressing this topic and teaching the requisite skills to your trainees, your staff, or your students. There are some great books out there and other resources that provide helpful strategies for how to have difficult conversations. And remember, if having the conversation doesn't produce the needed change, you can always submit a notice of alleged violation to the BACB's ethics department. I've provided you with some information that'll help if you find yourself in the unfortunate position of having to have a difficult conversation related to a potential code violation by a colleague or someone else in the field. Thank you for listening to Inside the BACB. Don't miss future episodes. Subscribe now.